0: Dear listener and fellow story lover, This curious story illustrates how a source of annoyance, once reframed and experienced from a different perspective, can instead become a source of joy and affection. I hope you enjoy this week's Stories from Before. By Mutual Arrangement A story of the strain of perpetual intimacy Written by Mary Stuart Cutting Read by Selina Cadell, by permission of the Lutterworth Press. Music by Stacy Weir. I've got to have this room to myself for a little while. If she comes back again, I shall go out of my mind. Suzanne Endicott propped her throbbing head with one hand as she sat up on the couch, listening for a few moments, tragically intent, before relaxing back on her pillow and closing her dark eyes once more. At last, Alma had left the house. Three times since Alma had shut the door of their one room on her exit had she returned, on each occasion more deprecatingly than before, once to get a pin for her collar, once for a letter, which she discovered afterwards in the bag she held in her hand, and once to make sure she had really filled the kettle when Suzanne had asked her to. Suzanne had felt a wildly increasing sense of irritation that threatened to wreck her physically if it wasn't controlled. She had clutched the pillow with both hands to keep from speaking in a voice that would send Alma flying. She was still quivering with the effort of that control. She had a hard morning's work in the school where she was a teacher of music and trying to sink into a comfortable state of blank numbness. When a light step sounded without, the knob rattled cautiously, and the door opened yet once more, closing behind the becomingly dressed figure of Alma, plump and fair, with appealing blue eyes directed towards the head buried in the pillow, while a timid voice said, "'Suzanne, are you asleep?' "'No,' "'Well then, if you're not asleep, will you answer the door if Kate Lee comes "'and tell her I'm not going away after all for the weekend? "'She wanted to go by the same train, but the postman just bought me a card. "'The Bessemer children are ill, so my visit has to be put off. "'I may be back here sooner than I expect now and in time to see her myself. "'Of course, if you're asleep, it doesn't matter.' She seemed to feel something ominous in the silence. Is there. is there anything I can do for you, dear? No, said Suzanne in a voice that carried the message of a bullet. Only go, she added below her breath, as the door opened and closed finally. Go and stay gone. Stay gone. Oh, my goodness. "'I shall be out of my mind soon. "'And now she isn't even going away for the weekend "'when I'd counted on it and asked the girls for Friday afternoon.' "'She had jumped from the sofa "'and was walking up and down wildly as she spoke, "'her Japanese kimono with its queer blue birds and flowers "'floating out behind her, "'her dark hair falling on her shoulders, "'her eyes flashing, her cheeks crimson,' and her head banging as if the side walls were coming forward to hit her as she walked. Things had come at last to a crisis. Last year, when she and Alma had taken this large, square, rose-papered bay-windowed room in a newly erected set of flats for women workers of small means, they had thought themselves very fortunate. A casual meeting as children ten years ago, had paved the way for this closer bond on their reacquaintance in the big city, where Alma had come as kindergarten teacher to the private school in which Suzanne had already taught for a year, living in a narrow attic beside which these quarters were palatial. By day the room was a sitting room, with the two low beds converted into couches and a tea table and easy chairs. A screen hid the more practical portion of the space. Yet... With this undeniable prettiness and comfort, the screen and the space, the four walls enclosed, after all, but one living room for two people. Two people with differing habits and traditions and temperaments and with no absorbing affection to draw them together. It was discovered that Alma could not sleep if Suzanne sat up and read. She woke if Suzanne stirred. Suzanne had a habit of dashing about with apparent aimlessness when she came home from school, at which Alma always wondered in the same gentle tone of voice. If Suzanne wrote a letter, or opened a drawer, or took off her shoe, Alma in some way commented pleasingly on the fact, noting that the former did ever seem to go unnoticed. There were times when Suzanne herself wanted to talk, and Alma had fits of becoming silently wet-eyed over some cause unknown. A remark about the white curtains yesterday had in some unexplained way given her an injured expression. But the worst thing was that there was no hour of the day that Suzanne had for herself. She could never be sure when Alma was going out or coming in. And when Suzanne had friends to see her, she stopped in her frenzied walk and sat down with a gesture of despair. When she had friends to come to see her, that was the time that Alma stuck fast in the room and never budged. In the coldest day of this last January, with the thermometer below zero, Suzanne had been forced to tramp the icy streets in the teeth of the wind with Anne Lloyd, who had come up to London by an excursion from Bristol, that the two might have a few minutes' private converse, being obliged to forego even the shelter of the railway station round the corner on account of the constant rush of people. For all of her deprecating gentleness, Alma's presence had a strangely persistent quality. You could not overlook it and forget her. She sat, as it were, opaquely on the edge of conversation, waiting to be drawn in. She had an effect of being more company than the real company, except indeed when she took charge of a tea table. She was at least deft in boiling water and making toast. But if Alma had to be one of her party on Friday... There were a couple of quick taps on the door. A voice said, ''May I come in?'' ''Oh!'' "'Miss Woodley, is that you? Wait just a moment, please.' Suzanne twisted up her hair, washed off the traces of her agitation, "'and opened the door to a friend. "'It was the neighbour who tenanted the next room, or flat, "'as they usually called their apartment. "'Miss Woodley was a kind girl with a pleasant mouth "'and a clear and comprehensive eye, "'who always saw at once what anybody ought to do, "'with the aggravating quality of being usually right.' she gained a very uncertain livelihood at journalism. She began capably at once as she seated herself. I've only got a moment. Miss Alma told me you were not well. Lie down and put your feet up. Dear me, the corner of your wallpaper is loosening up there by the ceiling. Probably you haven't noticed it. You had better put a little dab of paste on it before it gets to peeling off. How those violets have withered! You ought to cut off the stems every night and put a little salt in the water. I did, said Suzanne, with the instant remembrance that she hadn't. Tell me what's the matter with you? Oh, it's the same old thing, Miss Woodley nodded. You mean Miss Alma? Yes, I'm so ashamed of feeling as I do, but if I could only ever be sure of having a moment to myself. I like her. I'm fond of her, if only. I'd been counting on having Friday afternoon with Alice and Mary and Grace Selden, who were coming round to tea, just the four of us. And now I hear that Alma isn't going away after all. You know how it is when people are really intimate, to have a stranger poked in, it spoils everything. Suzanne stopped and choked. Oh, isn't it mean of me to speak like this, to talk about Alma? Well, I know she's always so good and self-sacrificing. As I said to Grace Selden the other day, I feel like such a sneak and a backbiter. I know Alma never talks to anyone but me. I wish she did. Miss Woodley's large grey eyes fixed themselves on Suzanne with an inscrutable expression. Would it make you feel better if you thought Alma talked about you? Then be comforted. She does. Alma talks about me? The colour rose to Suzanne's face. Exactly as you do about her. People always talk about each other, don't they? But I think perhaps she's fonder of you than you are of her. It makes her very unhappy because she says she cannot please you no matter how she tries. And she gets so nervous she doesn't know what to do. When you have company, if she speaks, she always seems to say the wrong thing. Retiring people are a nuisance, I know. They leave all the responsibility on someone else. But she says she stays in for fear you may think her uninterested if she goes out. Alma talks about me, repeated Suzanne. It seemed to give her an unaccountably surprised, resentful sensation. Oh, you couple of geese, said Miss Woodley. If you've been talking to everybody and she's been talking to everybody, Why in the name of common sense don't you have it out with each other and get somewhere? It beats me the way people wait, as if they expected a bolt from heaven to fall and sweep away all their difficulties. Her voice took on the tense, yet practised sound of one embarked on a favourite theme. It gets over me the way people complain and complain, day in and day out, without raising a finger to make things any different, their own things, that are nobody's business but their own, and that nobody else can help. They act as if they couldn't walk on their own feet, and as if they expected the earth to be nursed to them. When I get on this theme, my sister says, Dry up, Mary. A grievance makes the interest of life to most people. It's meat and drink to them. But I'm not built that way. I think that either you can't make a thing better, or you can. And generally, you can. Miss Woodley's voice dropped suddenly. Her inspired expression turned into one of care. There now, I'm talking your head off. The fact is, I've been upset myself today. She seemed to shudder visibly. I've been kept awake three nights by a mouse nibbling in my room. Every few minutes I have to lean out of bed and knock with my shoe to drive him away. Why don't you get a trap or stop up the mouse hole, suggested Suzanne. ''Oh, well, I think each day that perhaps he won't come back,'' said Miss woodley hazily. Suzanne couldn't help smiling after she went. In spite of her visitor's strenuous words, she was very much like other people. Yet, after all, there was something perhaps in the words. Suzanne lay there for a long time in the quiet room, thinking. The pain in her head was stilled when she rose at last, she longed to drag the washing appliances out from behind the screen. She hated contracted spaces and used the whole place to wash and dress in. And I will someday, she agreed to herself, as she made her toilet with unusual care. She was thinking, thinking. Somehow, even if she were still within four walls, her mind seemed to perceive some large green field on which the sun was shining if she could only make the effort to get to it. There was a glow on her face as Alma came in, though it was driven away for a brief instant by a sense of irritation at Alma's hesitant, deprecating expression. It was almost impossible not to tyrannise over someone who was so meekly prepared for a blow. But she recovered herself heroically. I'm glad you're back again. How nice you look, said Alma, throwing off her furs and cloak and sitting down by her friend. You have on the blue gown that I like so much. Are you expecting anyone? No, only you, said Suzanne brightly. She'd made up her mind to begin at once on the subject that was uppermost in her thoughts. It was almost indescribably difficult to say what you meant to Elma. She had a way of interposing some dull yet prickly shield of sensitiveness that blunted your words and turned them from their original intent back upon you. Suzanne dashed ahead now, without letting herself think. Alma, there's something I want to say to you. There are times when living together in one room this way becomes very wearing. I think we both feel it. Neither of us is ever sure of being alone. That is what makes the greatest strain. Alma paled. Her blue eyes grew moist. Yes, she murmured. And I've been wondering... Alma, what do you say to having one afternoon of each week when the room shall belong to you, to do just what you please, and one when it shall belong to me, when you or I will stay out of it entirely until seven o'clock and let the other do exactly as she pleases, no matter what it is? Let's try the experiment. Then I could do some cleaning, said Alma unexpectedly. Her eyes sparkled. There was an entirely unlooked-for note of excitement in her voice. She burst forth like a pent-up torrent. If you only knew all I've gone through, Suzanne, because you never will let me clean this place the way I want to. Oh, yes, I know the woman is supposed to look after it in the morning, but I'll have all the rugs up and the windows open and the skirting boards washed. You know it makes you so cross, Suzanne, to come in and find things upside down in the afternoon, but it is the only time there is. The books on those shelves ought to be taken out and clapped to get the dust out of them. The last time you had people here, I was perfectly ashamed to have them sit over there. I didn't know what they'd think of you. You're so near-sighted, though you won't own it, that you never know how things look. But for people who can see, it's simply dreadful. What day do you want this week? I suppose you're going to have visitors? I'm going to have Mary and Alice Lee and Grace Selden on Friday, Suzanne owned, half-guiltily, with the feeling that now Alma would begin to be sensitive she need not have been afraid. Alma, like most people, was too deeply interested carrying out her own plans to think of anything else. Then I'll take Thursday and clean the place for them. You're sure you'll go out and stay out? Yes, sure, said Suzanne laughing. She didn't quite know whether she was pleased or affronted at the ease with which her plan had been received. Yet strangely enough, each seemed to find a new interest in the other. The suggestion of individual proprietorship made a place of vantage from which each might come to a common meeting ground with something to bring to it. Alma surveyed each article in the room with a rapt view to its renovation. If Thursday afternoon were really fine, the curtains might even come down and be washed and she could afford to laugh at Suzanne's despairing outcry at the prospect. Suzanne always whimsically felt that When the curtains were down, desolation had set in. They'll be up all right for your party on Friday, her friend said indulgently. I'm going to take a couple of children to see the ducks in Kensington Gardens, if the weather is at all possible, after school. She bought cleansing materials by the bottle and the pound, providing herself with a scrubbing brush and a zinc pail over which she hung enamoured, and on Thursday itself, arrayed in an overall. With skirt pinned up and a kerchief round her head, her sleeves rolled above her dimpled elbows, she pushed Suzanne bodily from the room, though the latter, catching some infection of enthusiasm, actually offered at the last moment to stay and lend her valuable assistance. Alma refused her help. "'Be sure not to come back until seven, she commanded. Suzanne walked down the street a little envious and yet a little contemptuous of Alma's exhilaration. It seemed narrow and childish. The triumph of the plan had been achieved, at any rate, and how easily. Perhaps that was the way with many undertakings. The only difficulty was in making one's will undertake them. If her own part of the plan only worked out as well. She longed now hungrily for the morrow, for the delightful unhampered meeting with her friends. Suppose Alma minded it, when it came to the point. Suzanne had a lurking perception that she might mind herself if she were thrust out from a patently good time in her own quarters. It seemed odd now, when her visiting and shopping were all done, not to go back to the house until seven o'clock. She walked up and down the street waiting, although it was dark. When she finally rushed into the room, she stood still in surprise. So fresh, so delicate an aspect it had, even to her near-sighted view, things looked subtly different. I covered a couple of cushions with some crouton and the seat of your wicker chair, said Alma. She had the busy, excited air of the proprietress. I cleaned the brass kettle and the tray. I didn't get to the curtains, though. They will have to wait until next week. But I did up the lace centre for the table. Doesn't the silver shine? I do want everything to look pretty for your company tomorrow, Suzanne. I've had every book out and clapped it. The company can sit anywhere. It all looks lovely, said Suzanne gratefully. Why, what beautiful flowers? She stopped in surprise before the glass of long-stemmed red roses. Where did they come from? Alma beamed with a little shy gleam in her eyes. There was something sweetly, subtly maternal in her attitude towards her tall friend. I bought them for you, Suzanne I want you to have a nice party. Well, you're a dear, said Suzanne warmly. This was a new Alma, of whose existence she had been unaware. Her own dominant personality had kept it from showing, except negatively. There was a subdued glow about Alma now that was as refreshing as the daintiness of the room. Then the two planned out the simple menu for the morrow's festivities. Alma was to make the sandwiches and arrange the table and lay out everything in readiness before she left, even to the tea measured out in the teapot. For you know you can never find anything yourself, Suzanne, she said practically, with her identification of herself with Suzanne's plan so complete that the fact was almost unnoticed, except in that deeper sense of well-being that comes unbidden, as if it were a third and angel guest, when two... Are in complete accord. They talked, even after they were in bed and the lights were out, with a new intimacy. Suzanne, lying awake with pleased anticipation after Alma slept, heard a shoe hit the wall in the next room, and thereafter intermittent sounds as of a book or some hard substance tapping on the floor. Miss Woodley was evidently waiting for some large outside interposition to end what was within the compass of her hand. "'How funny people are!' Suzanne said to herself, smiling. Even the sound of heavy rain in the middle of the night only added to her sense of pleasure and security. Her friends would come just the same, even if it should pour on the morrow, and others would be prevented from dropping in. It did pour, Both Alma and Suzanne went out to school in a deluge that required Macintoshes and rubbers and umbrellas and a struggle against the elements, both tiring and inadequate. Even tried friends might not be able to get out in this torrent. But towards noon, the deluge held up. It merged into a heavy mist that hung thickly over the sodden ground, an indescribably body and soul depressing atmosphere. It was good to get back into the pretty room, with an armful of paper parcels. They had to hurry to get things ready for the afternoon, Alma setting out the purchases while admonishing Suzanne to make haste and dress. And it was Alma who made up the fire before she went out, finally, with an official leaving of the place, her fair hair shining through the veil that tied her hat down. Suzanne, don't spill the tea on the best tray cloth and don't get absent-minded and let the kettle boil over. Don't disgrace me in any way, do you hear? I know I'll find crumbs all over everything when I return. For the first time, as Suzanne heard the descending steps, it occurred to her that she did not know where Alma was going. Certainly not to the park on a day like this. She ran to the top of the stairs and called, Alma, where are you going? But the hall door had closed before the words left her mouth. She felt extraordinarily conscience-stricken. Was it possible that she'd been so absorbed in her own affairs as to have forgotten Alma altogether? She'll come back in a moment for her gloves or veil or something, Suzanne assured herself cynically. But this time Alma did not come. Possibly she'd gone to the Crosses, the only family in the district which she knew well. Suzanne felt a causeless pang, as if Alma had gone out of her life. She trailed around the room in her best gown, a soft grey with a lace yoke and knots of old rose velvet, looking at the pretty arrangement of the tea table, the lace centre, the pink and white cakes on their pretty plates, the brass kettle shining from Alma's hands. She drew up the low chairs to the fire and put another log on it. It was burning clear to the crimson heart of it for her three friends. She would have them all to herself without Alma. Without Alma? She would not have believed it possible that such a suddenly homesick feeling should sweep over her at the thought. The girls would soon be here. She imaged to herself Mary, large, fat and merry, voluminous in furs, Alice, thin, invalidish and painfully close-fitted in her spare attire, and Grace Selden, as Suzanne saw her daily, loud and assertive, in a bright metallic blue and a sweeping feather. All three were delightful in their way, yet she had a moment's intense perception of thankfulness that she lived with the dainty, perfectly appointed, gentle Alma, rather than with any of them. Alma? Why, Alma loved her. Suddenly that feeling of being loved, as worth everything else in the world, overpowered her, What did it matter if Alma did annoy her sometimes? Nobody loved her like Alma. Not one of her friends who were coming here would have thought of her as Alma had. The only love like Alma's had gone out of her life before she came here. He had died. Oh, she knew perfectly well Alma hadn't gone to the crosses. Alma had taken a book with her. An instantaneous conviction came over Suzanne in some passage of thought transference that Alma had fled to the only refuge open to her on this wet and foggy afternoon, that she was sitting over in the waiting room at the station with the unread book in her hand to wait there patiently until the clock struck seven. Suzanne looked at the clock now. Something was tugging unbearably at her heartstrings. Then she dashed on her Macintosh and rubbers, tucked up her best gown and ran hatless down the street and round the corner to the station. Yes, there, its sole occupant, beyond the square iron stove on the bench at the end, was Alma. As Suzanne came towards her, she started putting out both hands defensively. No, no, I won't. It is my own business what I do. I won't. I won't. You needn't think I want to come back. You precious idiot, said Suzanne fondly. She had both arms around her little friend. Alma trembled. A caress from Suzanne meant a great deal. Get up this minute and come along with me. No, indeed, you needn't think I am going back on the experiment. No, indeed, I am in love with it. I realise perfectly that for three hours you haven't a home to go to, but this time I'm inviting you to mine. This is an invitation, do you hear, Alma? and you can't be so rude as to refuse it. Oh, Alma, it isn't out of the slightest consideration for you. It's just because I want you myself. The end. Ah, humans, we are an odd species, are we not? I do hope you enjoyed this week's story of Suzanne and Alma and the various issues housemates may encounter. Please subscribe and follow this podcast and share it with your family and friends. I hope you enjoy a lovely week, and I look forward to being with you next week when I again share Stories from Before.